From Relay FM, this is Upgrade episode 310. And today's show is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile, KiwiCo, and Hover. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm very well. I am very well. Summer of good, fun good, good. rolling on. Summer of fun! I have a hashtag Snell Talk question from MJ, and MJ wants to know. Do you use your AirPods for phone calls, Jason? If you do, do you use the left, the right AirPod, or both at the same time? Um, I I not only use my AirPods for phone calls, I only do phone calls on AirPods. Mm. I, I don't want to have my phone against my face. I don't like it. I don't want a speakerphone. So if if somebody's calling me, if I'm like, oh, Apple's calling to give you a briefing in a minute, I will... Oh, humble brag. I will put in... Well, it happens. It's my job. I put my... AirPods in, and I'll actually even like play music or something, so I know that they're connected to my iPhone, and then I'll wait for the call because I want to get that call. And if I'm placing an outgoing call, same thing. So yes, both. Also, not left or right. Both. I do both. I do both when I use it, but I do also. Uh, I I do speakerphone sometimes. Like if I'm just in my office in my studio or whatever, I just put it on speakerphone. Especially if I'm like calling and I have to use the number pad thing, you know, like press one to, like, I just like speakerphone for those, but I do use AirPods too. That's a good question. Thank you, MJ, for sending in your hashtag Snell Talk question. It's very easy to do this. If you'd like to send in a question to help us start an episode of Upgrade, you send out a tweet with the hashtag Snell Talk or use the question mark Snell Talk command in the RelayFM members Discord. They get included on a sheet and it may be put in to a future episode. Snell Talk began as a way Mm -hmm. to stop us from talking about the weather every week because people don't want to hear us talk about the weather, but I need to talk about the weather right now, Jason Snell. Okay, sure. Um, I mean, if it's you wanting to talk about the weather, I guess it's okay. Fine. It is uh, 92 degrees Fahrenheit right now uh-huh. um, in, in London. Uh, very <sighs> similar temperature inside of my office where I am right oh. now at home. Uh, nice. So I do have a fan in the background. I've put it on a very minimal setting, and I'm going to try and take it all out with sound removal, but I just wanted to apologize to the upgrading so they can hear it. But otherwise, I would melt by the end of the episode. Yep, so I would be no use to anybody because I would just be a puddle under my desk. So I find stories of London being very hot now. Uh, it's now very nostalgic to me because, of course, when we were all in London for your wedding. Yes. It was similarly miserably hot. The whole week we were there. It was absolutely scorching on my wedding day. Painfully hot. So now it's like, ah, riding on the top of a double-decker bus packed Mm -hmm. with people, and it was murderously hot. Oh, good times, good times. I will always have great love for my friends who dressed up in suits on an absolutely boiling day. James Thompson, who's in the chat room, was in a, a wool kilt with the whole garb. He looked incredible. But was a was a very I'm sure sweaty person. I was very pleased that with the the uh, reception venue had incredible air conditioning. Yeah, everything it did. up to that point did not. The the, <laughs> the the chapel wasn't too hot because it was a big stone building. Right. but like all of the movements in between, very sweaty day. I was in a three piece suit that day. It was a hot day. That's true. Dan Morin got married in massachusetts in the summer and it was similarly hot so it's like i i we americans know about hot summer weddings but uh you're you're not supposed to it's not supposed to be like that in london but Mm -hmm. it was so anyway good times you're having wedding weather is what i'm saying wedding weather mike i know look at me literally any person right now who is going to twitter or to email to tell me that's not hot we get a hundred like you wherever you're wherever you're writing to me from i guarantee 
that everything around you is built for that heat, right? Like, we do not yeah. have air conditioning here, for example. Nobody has it because no. that's would not you? what our homes were built for. So, we don't have it here either. And yep. people people will say, oh, uh, it, it's it's not so bad. And it's like, yeah, we don't have air conditioning. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I have like a window fan. That's the best. That's my air conditioning. So it's, uh, by the way, just for the record, mm-hmm. 60 degrees and foggy here. I would love so. that. Yeah. We should be much better midweek. We just got a hot few days here. All right. So that's enough weather talk. talk. Let's do some upstream headlines. I've got a bunch of stuff because we didn't do any uh, last week because of the iMac, which we're going to be talking about again in a little bit. But I have some Apple TV Plus related news for you. So there is a trailer for Ted Lasso, which has come out, which is uh, that's coming out on August 14th. If you remember, this is the Jason Sudeikis um, comedy show Mm -hmm. of a. NFL coach who is hired by a British football team mm-hmm. to become the manager of that team. And what makes this interesting? By the way, the trailer looks good. I'm actually excited for it this. Does. I love Jason yeah. Sudeikis, and this looks very funny, and it holds it up looks... to the promise mm-hmm. of the initial uh, character um, which of, of Ted Lasso, which was created by, I believe, NBC to promote... NBC getting the Premier League football. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. In an ad. <laughs> in an ad. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Apple bought the rights to this character from a TV ad to create a show out of, which, by the way, I think is pretty inspired because it's a great character. It's almost like if somebody, I don't know, bought rights to the old Spice Guy or something, right? Like, and it, sh- it, great it sure looks like they made this... Like they made it in England, and everybody else in it seems to be an English actor. Yep. And then there's Jason Sudeikis. Oh, I know so many places where they're filming this. I'm looking. I'm like, uh, I know where that is. I know where that is. So yeah, they, they look like they've treated it well, uh, and it looks really funny. And uh, I'm I'm actually really excited about this. I think this could be a, a sleeper hit for for Apple TV. The trailer was great. It pushed all my buttons too because it's it's like it's a funny premise uh, because I like uh, I like football, uh, American and. British English football. I I like them both. I like, and I know the cliches. Um, I like England and, and, you know, having watched a lot of British TV and stuff like that. So that's all, all of these contrasts between the two cultures are, are very funny. I think that there's potential there. And also it seems to be a, uh, you know, scrappy underdog learns life lessons along the way kind of sports movie style story too and i'm kind of a sucker for that too so uh yeah i'm looking forward to it yeah this looks really good uh there is a new show on uh, apple tv plus debuted on july 30th the oprah conversation is an interview series which is uh probably a pretty a pretty thick great thing that they could be doing right now because these can be conducted uh when you're apart which is what they're doing um, the first few episodes, I think there's one out, there's a couple more coming out. The first few episodes are focusing on racial issues. So the first um, is with Ibran X. Kendi, who is uh, who did, this episode was called How to Be an Anti-Racist. And then there is a two-part conversation with Emmanuel Eko um, along similar lines, um, looking at a lot of racial injustice issues and stuff like that and how to address them. Um, so that's it's a timely thing. And Oprah is a great voice. Right, to if you're going to talk about issues like this, so makes a lot of sense that they would push this button uh, right now. If you remember, uh, Apple and Oprah have an overall deal. So yeah, this is the great Apple Oprah relationship mm-hmm. uh, in another another tentacle, another uh, another example of that 
that connection that they've got. Yep, makes a lot of sense. This is clearly what would have just been a podcast, but now they can make it into a TV show because this is how TV looks right now. Right? It's like two people in their own homes and cameras with them. Uh, Apple have signed a new thriller starring Elizabeth Moss of uh, The Handmaid's Tale, Madman. It's called Shining Girls, based on the novel by Lauren Bukes about a time-traveling killer. That's right. Mm, he kills the Shining Girls. That's who the Shining Girls are, the, the, the targets of the time-traveling killer. And this is a... I haven't read this. I have it on my Kindle. It's apparently a very good book. And uh, I was surprised to see that uh, it's... Uh, here it is. It's uh, going to Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, there's a new detective drama starring Robert Downey Jr. on the way. It's produced by the production company Team Downey, which is mm. uh, owned by Robert and Susan Downey. Um, I Downey, it's Downey by Downey starring Downey. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> produced by Downey and Downey. Uh, mm-hmm. I just think that it's wild, like this, the names that keep getting added to Apple's slate, right? Iron Man now is here, so yeah, another big one. Sure. Why not? Everybody everybody wants that. The question is, and this is the classic question is, is this a is this a project that is good or is this one of those quippy kind of projects that's sort of like yeah, we have the, the we'll take I'll take their money, right? Kind of mm. thing. But um but still it's you know, big movie stars doing doing uh streaming TV. That's where we live now. Jason, can you remind me in the upgradians what the pack twelve is? A Pac-12 is a college conference on the West Coast uh, that features uh, many different college sports uh, organizations and colleges, uh, including, you know, USC and UCLA and Washington and Oregon. Uh, the Oregon Ducks, my, my uh, daughter is an Oregon Duck. And of course, the most important of all, the University of California Golden Bears, as we all know. So, go Bears. By the way, the winner of the U.S. Open in golf this weekend uh, was a Cal guy. Go Bears. Roll on you bears. I'm going to do it, Mike. You can't stop me. You could edit it out, though. I don't even know what it means. It's a roll on your bears. It's a a thing. It's college. Anyway, um, we talked here about the possibility of Apple sniffing around a bunch of different live live sports kind of options and sports deals for the future. And there was a report that said that although Apple is still interested in uh, in getting sports rights, they are likely to not bid on Pac-12 rights. And, and their perception here, and this may also be a broader issue, is that, you know, or maybe they're just letting them down easy. I don't know. They're saying that, that you know, a, a college deal like this is unlikely to have international appeal, that, you know, in Australia, they're not going to be really excited about seeing, you know, the University of Washington play USC in mm-hmm. football. Um, but uh, I, I still think that there's a lot of money to be made in uh, live sports for streamers, but it may be that Apple, it depends on what Apple wants strategically. Like Apple, if it's thinking international, then Apple is going to be bidding on some very different things than if it's thinking about getting something that's going to have a lot of viewership in the US because world sport is different than sports in the US in terms of priority. There, are, There's some overlap, like there's international appeal for some sports, but college football especially is not really one of them. So... Uh, we'll see what happens. But anyway, this report is that the Apple Apple did talk to the Pac-12 about sports rights, but uh, is is kind of moving on and is unlikely to bid. But uh, the bigger issue here to watch for upstream purposes is really what are the what are the deals being made by streamers? As we mentioned a couple weeks ago, CBS bought the uh, the Champions League, see, and they put it on CBS All Access. 
which is an interesting decision. Um, another another interesting note is the FA Cup was last weekend, not this just passed, but the weekend before that, which is a championship of a tournament of English soccer. We're back to English soccer again. Uh, won by Arsenal, by the way. Um, boy, I'm just plugging all my Spoilers. teams now, aren't I? Um, <laughs> won by Arsenal beating the hated uh, evil Chelsea. All right, so, we'll do that. <laughs> anyway, um, that aired. ESPN had the rights to that in the U.S., and they put it on ESPN Plus. They were showing like billiards or something, cornhole. I don't know what it was. They were showing nothing on one on ESPN two at that moment, but they chose to keep the FA Cup final off of their linear cable channel and put it on their for pay streaming service. Right. Shows you where the money is, doesn't it? Interesting data point, right? Where they're like, well, we could put this on ESPN2. Yes, we could do that. Or we could force everybody to buy ESPN Plus in order to see it. And this is, again, we're going to, this is just the beginning of fans, especially of various sporting events, getting irate because they have to buy a streaming service yep. in order to see their thing. But it's going to happen just like fans got irate when they moved things off of broadcast in the U.S. to cable. And everybody got really angry about that. I'm like, I have to pay to see this. I can't just get this with my antenna. Well, this is the next frontier of that, which is you're going to have to pay uh, a streaming service subscription in order to get access to this stuff. It's inevitable. I think that there is a, a potential upper part to this Pac-12 thing or just Apple Sport in general. Maybe they've just realized that 2020 is just a bad time to be getting sports rights. Like it, it's, it's maybe it, a little mm. uncertain. Well, it depends on your feeling about it. I would imagine that everybody involved in sports imagines that sports will bounce back and that anybody who can get a deal buying it for a slight discount is probably getting a deal because it will bounce back. And I think it will, right? I think that there's no doubt that sports is going to bounce back, Mm -hmm. but um, there will be a rough patch here. It's also possible that a lot of the owners here looking at their uh, lack of fans in the stands, lack of ticket sales are going to want another revenue stream, right? And they're going to want to sell some rights right now so they can get some cash in their pocket. Right. But I guess for, for, a company like Apple, it's about the right deal at the right time, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you can, it, it, they might want sports, but not Pac-12, you know, like like we said. Well, for, for sure. I think that, that that's a good example of that. And the Pac-12 stuff wasn't going to come up for another like two or three years. And I think that's a, another factor here is that a lot of these sports rights go out for years and years. And then there's a big moment where the bids happen. And so um, this is going to be slow moving as with so many of the rights things we talk about on upstream, it's going to be slow moving, but there will be, mark my words, like there will be that moment and we'll all know it when we see it, when something comes up for bid that has always been on traditional TV and one of the bidders is a streaming service. And even if they don't get it, if like it's a serious possibility that they're going to get it, that's going to be that moment where people are like, oh, what? Like, I thought the NFL was always going to be on my local CBS TV station, and now it's on Amazon. How do I what? Right, and and that's going to happen. It's it's Definitely. something like that will happen. Mark Duplass, who played Chip on the morning show, has told Deadline that season two is actually being rewritten to reflect the pandemic. So the funny thing, if you would call it funny, the interesting thing uh, that I, that is to be thought about this is they rewrote the first season to include uh, the Me Too movement as one of the main, really, arguably the main plot point of the show. 
and now they're doing it again uh, to reflect the plant the pandemic, which is a, an interesting thing to do. I was wondering, Jason, if this may allow them to resume shooting some way for them to find ways to do this remotely, if that's the route they want to go down. Uh, Duplass also confirmed the deadline. They had only shot two episodes of the show before being closed down. I had the same thought, which is I wonder if there's something to be done here about the, you know, we've seen different TV productions try to grapple with the pandemic and have people recording from home and reporting from home and all of that. And then you get a skeleton crew back in a studio, but you've got like, I could see them trying to emulate that and sort of tell that story. The problem I've got with it is, is anybody going to want to see that in a year? I don't know. Right? Like, oh, hey, hey, everybody, we just got out. Remember the pandemic? It's like, yeah, I do remember. There's that thing. I think we talked about it here. Somebody was pointing out that um, there is very little art about the um, the flu pandemic 100 years ago. There's like very little in the way of like novels or any art influenced by it. And there is a thought that everybody lived through it and no one wanted to relive it. And so nobody talked about it. <laughs> And nobody made art about it. And it just kind of, because nobody wanted to hear that. Like we all, we all get it. There was a pandemic. We Mm. get it. And I wonder about something like this too, that if you really lean into your pandemic season and the pandemic is maybe waning when it comes out, everybody's like, I don't want to, why would I want to relive that? So there's, there's some risk there too. But um, then again, if they're really trying to shoot their season and they don't know how they're going to be able to do it. Um, you know, it's also possible that they'll do it for like a couple episodes and then kind of break out of it. But I don't know. I, I, it's a tough position to be in, to be wanting to produce your show and having shut down mid season and feeling like it's timely <laughs> and feeling like you want to be current, but mm, I don't know. Disney is releasing Mulan on Disney plus, <sighs> but with a catch. It's coming out on September 4th but it will be a $30 purchase for Disney Plus subscribers on top of your subscription. It will act like a purchase, so it stays in your account. It's not like you're not paying $30 to rent it, is my understanding. Um, It seems a little unclear right now if they're going to also be selling Mulan, right? Like, will you be able to pay $35 and buy it on iTunes, for example? I don't see how you will. um, It doesn't seem... Because Likely, it's tied to right? not or not originally, right? Because it's tied to Disney Plus. You have to be paying them already mm-hmm. for the right to pay them more. Yeah. So I agree with you, but just in the reports that I read, it they're basically saying we've asked and haven't got confirmation. So But why would they specify Disney Plus? What if they sold it for forty dollars outside, right? But but okay. nevertheless, right? But I yeah. agree with you, I'm sure it's gonna be Disney Plus only. But like for example, to they're start, still anyway. putting it in theaters in places where Disney Plus isn't available. So right. it kind of seems like Disney is flying by the seat of their pants with this one, which makes sense. Uh, I think that this is not good for Milan, honestly. Uh, I think that $30 is a lot. I, I will push back on that a little bit because if you're a family going to see a family Disney movie in a right. movie theater, you pay more than $30. No, I understand. So like the idea of putting them iTunes and stuff like that, $30, I think $30 is a lot when you're already paying $6 a month. I've seen some people say that maybe this is the this is actually a new way that Disney uh, justifies keeping their Disney Plus monthly subscription artificially low 
Mm, okay. Is by having it be an artificially low gateway into a buying environment where mm-hmm. they then charge you a lot of money for a bunch of extras. Interesting thought. Yeah. So, like, would I pay it? Yeah, probably. Am I going to get it? I reckon I am. Um, I, I, I think it's just like I did have an initial sticker shock on this one. Yeah. Because I saw, oh, great Disney Plus. Oh, what? $30? Right. Like, that yeah. surprised well, me. And, and you and Adina could go see it in the movie theater and you wouldn't pay $30, no. probably. No. But, it would be um, but I, I, I took the last time we went to see a movie, <laughs> I can't even remember what movie it was, but I remember all four of us went to see it. And it cost it cost a lot of money. Like I was like, mm-hmm. oh my god! And I thought I re- I need to remember this moment. Although obviously not the movie, it's probably a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie. I remember this moment because when they try to get you to pay for this at home, this is what they're going to ask you to pay mm-hmm. is something like this because this is what a family of four going to the movies pays, which is you know thirty five forty dollars, depending on where you live. It's going to vary, but you know. It's in the ballpark. Yeah. And uh, I think what's interesting is it's not a rental. So as long as you stay on Disney Plus, you have access to watch it. So you can watch which it again help, and again and again, which is good. A lot of these kids. $30 have been rentals. Um, so the idea, so I actually, I'm coming around to this a little bit more. Like that, if, you know, like the fact that you pay that $30 and it's like quote unquote a purchase for as long as you're a Disney Plus subscriber, that's pretty good too, I think. Um, we had Matt write in with a question. Which uh, Matt said, do you think Apple will get their cut for Disney Plus from Mulan when it's on their platforms? Well, you can you can rent and buy movies on Amazon now um, on Apple TV. And uh, is Apple getting a cut of that? Maybe they are behind the scenes, but they're not using in that purchase. Think, oh, uh, interesting. I think Apple coming from those documents that we were talking about last time, that would be if uh, so with Amazon if somebody has come to it's it like, and they were already a customer, they go right. through Amazon. If they started with Apple, it goes to Apple. Yeah. So it may be something like that. But I think that this fits into that scenario where, on at least on Apple TV, you should be able to buy Mulan in the Disney Plus app. And, you know, maybe Apple gets a cut. Maybe Apple doesn't get a cut. Who cares? Apple. <laughs> We'll talk about this later on, but I Apple think at the moment Apple care about this stuff quite does. a lot, in fact. So you can sign up, like there is in-app purchases, and at least on the website I can see it. I don't know how obfuscated they are, and some apps do that. But you can sign up for Disney Plus um, in-app, so I guess it might be a similar thing. Yeah, um, no, that that may be the the scenario there. I would like to know, by the way, when, if any of our listeners uh, did sign up through the App Store, uh, I I signed up on the web because I, I got the the discount deal. Right. Uh, if you signed up in the App Store and you get Mulan, I would love to know uh, if huh. you went through the IAP process. So we'll we'll find out September fourth. But I, I want to mention, I know that we the bumper crop of, of upstream stuff here, but I want to mention one other big story that we haven't didn't even have on our list, but I, I want to throw it in with this Mulan thing because I think they're all related, which is um, a federal judge is ending the, dis, the consent decree against Paramount for movie theaters. And this sounds very dry, but the point here is in the U.S. for a long time, it has been illegal for movie studios to create this vertical integration where they also run... Uh, movie theaters and this has been happening since the late 1940s there was a supreme court decision in 1948 u.s versus paramount pictures 
and the um a federal judge in New York granted a motion by the US Department of Justice to terminate that. And and what this means is that between the pandemic and the consent, consent decree going away, the theater business is never going to be the same. Because and and I saw some speculation about this and we don't know how this is going to go, but I saw somebody make a really smart point which is imagine a chain of Disney theaters where they show Disney releases. It's a Disney-fied experience. You pay more, but it's more magical because it's Disney. And Disney can it, like it is just it's full on it's like it's like going into Disneyland or on a Disney cruise or something like that, except it's the your local Disney showcase theater in major markets. So what does the removal of the consent decree allow? It means that movie studios can own movie theaters. And so that means that in theory, Disney doesn't have to supply their movies to theaters that they don't want to give them to. Exactly. And theater chains would probably say, well, we're not going to take your movies anywhere if you open your own movie theaters. I would imagine that what will happen is that Disney will say, fine, we are opening our own movie theaters in all these major markets. And if you'd like it in the minor markets... There's an audience there, and somebody's going to take it. And if it's you, then fine. But yeah. if not, then you know, it, then they'll they'll instead they'll rent it on Disney Plus, <laughs> right? Like I, I don't know. It, who knows how this is all going to play out? But a lot of the decades long um, control systems in the U.S. at least have been removed while streaming now has become more prominent because of the pandemic. And then let's just throw in also technology is way better. Like the sound and picture on my TV set in my house is also of a, of a quality now where I wouldn't mind just watching all new releases on it. I don't feel like I even need to go to a movie theater. It's not true for everybody, but it's true for some portion of the audience. So like you throw all this together Things are going to get weird. That's what I'm saying. Things are going to get really weird mm-hmm. once once there are th- are movie theaters and back in the U.S. and like over the next decade. How does this all work out? But I don't think we're going to be going back to what we had before. I think those days are over. One last piece on this while we're talking about it. AMC just did that deal with Universal, and they're offering it to other studios too, where uh, a movie can come out on streaming or well for rental 17 days after the theatrical yeah. release, like. Yeah. Um, uh, I know this might upset people or whatever, but the movie theaters are crumbling now. Like, they're yeah. crumbling. Well, and, and that, that actually fits with what movie theaters are for now, right? Because movie theaters now are for big blockbusters. Yeah. And they want you to see it in the theater. And and if you think about Disney, you know, Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, Disney is, is the, the biggest movie studio out yeah. there. You want to see them in the theater. You want to. Yeah. Could they schedule their releases so that there's that every Disney theater near you is like it, it's a handful of screens, but they're big screens, and it's always some movie that's come out in the last two weeks or three weeks that everybody wants to see, and then as soon as that's done, two three weeks after that, it's on Disney Plus mm-hmm. as a as a rental or something like that. You can like imagine that. Like, as well, like if Disney owned yeah. the theater, then every theater screen and sound system would be perfectly tuned for that movie. You know, you like would that, think. that would be a great because it's there, pretty nice. It's their product, right? Right. I mean, it's got there are a lot of knock-on effects, and it's it's a complicated thing. But yeah, this is this is the kind of strange world that we're living in now. Yeah, the idea that the theatrical window, the exclusive theatrical window, is less than three weeks is a pretty big thing, right? But mm-hmm. that's where we're headed. And honestly, you know, that's sort of 
also where we were going because people go mostly go to see movies now because they want to see something big and popular that is just in theaters and they want to do it right when it comes out and then they move on to the next thing for years and it's closed now but uh, because of the pandemic and I think it's never going to reopen we have this one screen movie theater near our house and what I what fascinated me about it was the choices they made about what movies they got in there and I thought it was really emblematic of the fact that you could have a single screen for a movie theater and almost always have a blockbuster you could almost always do it because there's always another big movie that people want to see and if it's not that big it's there for a week and then it's gone and then there's another one in there and that that's sort of like that's the future of all movie theaters because all the smaller movies are are going off onto streaming and people aren't going to see them in theaters and we can talk about how tragic that is and all those things but it's just sort of a reality of where we are right now this episode is brought to you in part by our friends over at Hover, which is one of Relay FM's longest running sponsors. They've been with us since the very beginning, which is very nearly six years now, actually. So it's, uh, I think, next week. Yeah, next week. Uh, when you have a big idea, that great idea, where do you go first? For a ton of entrepreneurs, Hover is that first big leap because your business starts with a great domain name. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. So no matter what you want to build, there is a great domain waiting for it. They have excellent technical support to answer any questions you may have, and they are dedicated to getting you online and not upselling you. Hover has free who is privacy, so the bad guys don't get your info, a clean user experience in UI, making it super easy to manage your domains, and they also have monthly sales on popular top level domains so you're going to get great prices too it is so easy to see why hover is the popular choice for people starting businesses whenever i have an idea for a new project i immediately go to hover to see what's available and when i come up with that great domain because they have wonderful search options you can type in some words type in a full domain and it will give show you what's available and then show you a bunch of options for stuff that you maybe didn't think about but could be a better fit could be better price too dot coms can be expensive but they have loads of other options that you might be able to use instead so that's a really great thing that, that I love about Hover is you get to see all of those options on one page. And then when you have signed up, it's so easy to manage that domain. If you just want to forward it somewhere else, a couple of clicks and it's done. And I love that. I know that you love great user experiences. You're a listener of this show. You love stuff that works straight out of the box. So you're going to appreciate Hover because it's so simple, clean, and easy to navigate. Buy your domain and start using it today by going to hover.com slash upgrade. And there is a 10% discount available on all new purchases. That is hover.com slash upgrade. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Our thanks to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. Summer of fun time. Summer of fun. What's fun this week? The fact that we get to talk about the iMac again. Uh, so, Yay. Jason, you have uh, reviewed the 2020 iMac. I only really want to know myself one thing, which is the nano texture, uh, because mm-hmm. you got one of the nano texture iMacs. That's right. That here. is the thing I am most interested about. How does that look? How does that work? And then we can talk a little bit more in detail. But that's the thing I care the most about myself. I think it's the most interesting thing about the product. Okay. So for five for $500, you can get your iMac where the glass is etched in the same way that the Pro Display XDR had an option for a, has an option for a $1,000 etched nano texture display. And it's these micro etchings. And what they're doing is they're reducing glare. So um, for $500, you can get that on a, on a 5K iMac now. And... It's really, really, really good. And I, I'm starting to feel like... So writing this review, I was thinking, like, who buys this with the 
era coming to an end. This may be the last, at least major update of an Intel Mac ever. Who, who buys this? And yes, I think one group I know, I know multiple people who have bought one because they feel like they keep an iMac for five or six years and they're going to get this one and it's going to be a big upgrade over the one they got five or six years ago and then they can wait and their first Apple Silicon Mac, you know, all the bugs will have been shaken out. Everybody will know. They don't need to be on the cutting edge. I, I think that is a strong point that at this point, um, you know, you could get this and you're going to, you're not on the cutting edge and most of our listeners aren't going to feel that way, but like, it's going to be tried and true and very good at what it does. And it's got a bunch of extra features that we can talk about. But the other audience for this is people who want a real anti-glare iMac and they're going to be able to get it on this thing for $500 over the iMac cost. And when you look at the Pro Display XDR, which costs a fortune, like this is a better option. You get the mm-hmm. very good, unchanged, but very good uh, wide color gamut uh, Apple 5K iMac display. And now for $500 extra, you get the nano texture, which comes with a little cloth that you're supposed to use to clean it. A little, mm-hmm. And you can buy extras at the Apple store for $10 if you want more little little cloths. But it looks great. It is. It actually does a thing with my brain that I look at it, uh, especially at the bezels. I'll look over there and I'll be like, "That mm, that can't like it. Do, it seems wrong because it's this black glass on the bezels, and there should be a reflection there, and there's nothing there. Mm. And it's, it just seems like it, it's wrong. And it looks really good. It doesn't feel all textury like so many anti-glare like. Uh, screen skins and screen covers do where you end up with this thing that looks slightly foggy. Um, You know, I've had displays like that before that were anti-glare displays and they, they just, they're not, the blacks aren't crisp or anything like that. It's not like that. Everything looks really good. And the glare is incredibly diffuse. I tried to take a picture of it. It's very hard to, to take a picture of it and make it clear. Cause I was, I took a picture with my iPhone camera and my iPhone camera automatically adjusted the brightness up. And so in my picture, you could very clearly see the lamp in the background that was shining on it. But when I looked at the display, I could not see even a glow, a barest hint of a glow. So I had to like step down the exposure on my camera to get something that approximated what my eye was seeing. It's very good is what mm. I'm saying. And if you're somebody who has glare issues in your, in your office environment, I think people are going to buy that for that feature. And it's really, really nice. You mentioned when you started talking about this, it was like the, the idea of somebody buying this machine because they held it for five years. I actually think that's a really interesting point where if that's what you want to do, it might be best to buy this machine instead of the next one. Yeah. Because you could be coming in at a time which might be a little tumultuous for a while. We don't know yet. We don't know. What the Apple Silicon transition is going to be like. We don't know how many apps we're going to lose, right? Or like, or how many apps are going to run poorly, right? Like, this is stuff that we feel confident about. We don't know if there are quirks, you know, where there's like, oh, it turns out this thing, Apple didn't really get it right, and we got to wait around, and there's some bugs, and then it's going to take six months, or or it turns out this feature just didn't work right, or... I mean, there, there always are things like that that can happen, especially yep. with an initial version of a product. Like, I think back to those initial Intel Intel Macs, and although that transition was pretty seamless, also, the, the first round of, like, Core Solo and Core Duo iMacs we're, we're not very good. And the core two duos that followed them were good. And that was sort of the upward. So so you look at that first generation like, yeah, they're okay. 
but then there were way better Macs to come. So that's the other argument there is not only like, is it buggy, but also like first tentative steps versus buying a Mac that is Apple in stride, having figured out every issue regarding Apple Silicon Macs. Like there are, there are counter arguments. And if you're somebody who doesn't care about the cutting edge features, but what if the next iMac has Apple Pencil support and all of this stuff? Like, but if you're like, no, I just want another iMac to be in my face while I'm writing for the next five years, like a couple of my friends, like, yeah, this is this is going to do you way better than that iMac you bought five or six years ago when the when the first maybe 5K iMac came out. This is a huge update for that. It's faster. It's faster than my poor little eight core Mac Pro iMac Pro, right? Like my eight core iMac Pro, which was discontinued last week because why even sell that? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's way faster than that at everything. At least the high end configuration is. So you know. I don't know. Like there are lots of arguments to be made. And I know that most of the people listening to this podcast are not these people because people who listen to this podcast presumably are really into what's on the cutting edge. But I know that there are some people who even who listen to this podcast who are interested in the cutting edge stuff. But when it comes to their buying decisions or their computer use decisions, they're a little more conservative. They're like, you know what? Maybe I'll get this really good iMac that's built on all of this technology Apple's been testing for the last five years. And I'll keep that while you all have fun storming the castle (laughs) with this Apple Silicon stuff. I'm just going to do my job for the next four years or five years or whatever. So I I think that is a strong argument. But there will be this other element of it, which is like somebody who really, 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 really wants that nano texture display. And I won't blame them because I think it's, uh, I think it's really good. And if you want an anti-glare display on an Apple device, uh, I think you're not going to get a much better deal than the $500 nano texture option on the iMac. Would you be concerned about taking care of it properly? I don't think I am. I so I I I talked to Apple about this. I actually um I'm not sure what I'm supposed to admit to seeing, but I talked to our uh, I talked to our friends who uh, we've talked to on this show before about the iMac. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I'm not going to name any names, but uh, my understanding I asked about the nano texture display and I asked about the care of it. So they have this they have this cloth. You're supposed to use the cloth. You can get more cloths. You can get them online or you can get them at your apple store they really want you to use this cloth and not other another method um it sounds like you could you can also use maybe water just plain water if you need to uh with this cloth it doesn't sound like this is the kind of thing where if you use some windex on it it's gonna melt (laughs) it's not gonna have an imac anymore my understanding though is that if you use chemicals on the screen their concern is that what it's gonna do is it's gonna wear down the glass and you're gonna lose the magic of the etching uh that is going into the nano texture um so the the i walked away thinking it doesn't feel like it's fragile you just need to be aware that if you want this thing to hold up and be this magical non-glare display you need to follow the care instructions Mm. which is not i think it's not unreasonable i have a larger point which you may have thought of mike which is okay Apple's really into this nanotexture thing. That's great. What does this mean about our conjecture that maybe Apple will do Apple Pencil or touchscreen or both Macs in the future? Because I'm not clear on how resilient nanotexture is to somebody sticking their, you know, their oily fingers all over it all the time. Mm-hmm. That I'm I'm not entirely clear on. And I wonder 
is this a last hurrah where they're like, well, let's get a nanotexture into the iMac now because we're not going to be able to do it on those touchscreen iMacs. That would have been a bold and wrong choice to make, I think. If that, you know, like if the, the, the if new iMac models cannot have this, yeah. that would have been very weird to put it on there, in my opinion. We'll we'll see. We'll uh, see. Or is it that the geniuses at Apple are all they're like, ah, we got it, we got it, we got a touchscreen na- nanotexture in the in the lab, and it'll be fine. I, I don't know. I think we have one of two options here. I mean. One, I I do believe that at some point in the future, there will be a combination where you can have nanotexture and touch on the same panel. I don't know how they'll do it, but I believe they will do it at some point, right? Like, I understand that people will say that, like, this doesn't work. I would expect that they will find a way to do it because hmm. people are clever and they find ways to do it. Like, nanotexture even existing is something that we thought wouldn't have been able to exist a few years ago right like the, what they've been able to do here yeah. with glass etching so i'm sure there will be a way to do it at some point in the future we just don't know what that is yet the other thing i would expect is if they do want to offer nano texture and they do want to offer touchscreens you have to choose could be could be um there could be a division on what max get touchscreens and what max get uh, nano texture, or yeah. it could be a choice. Like I could totally see them saying, you know, our our new thirty inch iMac with Apple Silicon is here, and you can, you know, by default it comes with touchscreen and Apple Pencil support. But do they say or <laughs> nano texture traditional? I, I don't know. Or 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 do they? It depends on what their approach. Assuming they do touch at all, it it, it depends on what their approach to touch is. Is it laptop only? Um, I hope not, because I would really like that 24-inch iMac to be something that could be, you know, pivoted and turned into something kind of like a Surface Studio or like a G4 iMac. Where as much you could as I would gr- love to grab see the Apple screen. do that, I, I don't know. I don't, I I don't, don't know if they if will. I don't know if they will. Yeah, and, and so that's a possibility, too. So I think it's all there. I do think you're right, though, that if there's any way physically for Apple to bring etched glass that reduces uh, glare into every single product they make they will and if if and that means the ipad and the iphone which means they may have to figure out how to solve the the problem of how do you do this but also have oily fingers on the screen Mm -hmm. and if there's any possible way for them to do it they'll do it right because that's a way for them to push their glass on their devices forward and make a better experience for everybody at least as an option so um, it's worth watching, and uh, you know you would need to be an expert at nano texture glass etching and how oils deposit on a screen and all of that. And we're not that, so I, I look forward to hearing what the experts say or seeing what they do about that. But uh, you know, it's in the meantime, this thing is real. Like it's really nice, and I would buy one if I had a glare problem. I would buy one uh, unreservedly because it looks really good. I've got it positioned. Uh, opposite my existing iMac, which means mm-hmm. it is facing uh, toward the window in my office. And I've been editing video. I've actually been editing my 20 Max for 2020 videos on it this past week because it's way faster than my iMac. And until I send it back, than my iMac Pro, until I send it back, I, I kind of want to use that power and I get, it get, lets me use the nano texture display. And the glare is just not an issue. It's just not. It's amazing. Um, so like I'm a, I'm a real nano texture believer. I think it is the, the banner product or feature of this. It is also the only feature of the iMac 
that hasn't been seen on another Mac before. It was on the Pro X- Display XDR, but like ev- everything else in the iMac is, I had somebody on Twitter who was trying to tell me like, oh, you know, this is a, it was some, something positive about the iMac having, you know, having picked up all this stuff. And my, my, my thought was, I don't want to give it too much credit. This is a little bit like that argument about, do you give Apple credit for finally doing something it should have done five years before? It's a little like that because it's like, do we credit the iMac for adding the T2 processor that was in the 2007 iMac Pro or 2017 iMac Pro? Like, do we give it credit for that or 2017 2016 i can look let me look i'm gonna just look Hmm. 2017 december 2017 all right do we give it credit for being the t2 mac when we already had one almost three years ago in an imac like i don't (laughs) and the t2 is great and the t2 adds a bunch of stuff but it's not new to the mac the new uh three three microphone system that with you know quote unquote studio quality audio is the MacBook Pro 16 system. It's not new. It's new to the iMac, but it's not new. Like, what's nice about this computer is that it integrates finally to the iMac, the 27-inch model, not the 21.5-inch model that was completely untouched. Uh, It integrates this new stuff. That's great. And that's why I think people who are looking for a new iMac and don't want to be on the cutting edge of all this Apple Silicon business can get this thing, and they're going to get... Arguably the state of the art, the final state of the art Intel iMac before the switch, right? Like the final state of the art Intel Mac with all of this tech that Apple's been working on the last few years packed into it. Mm. But in terms of like newness to the Mac, other than the nano texture thing, there's kind of nothing here, right? Like this is all stuff that we've seen somewhere else and they're Mm. just kind of rolling it into the iMac. It's great that they're doing it. I wish they had done it a couple of years ago, but it's great that they finally did it here at the end so that the 27-inch iMac has that T2 and all of yeah. that. By the way, as a note, because people have been asking me about it, um, running my benchmark tests, so I'm running these tests that really stress out the CPU and the GPU. And I'll tell you, the one thing that they... they Apparently, they tweaked it a little bit because the power draw on the new chips is is different than on the old chips. But like basically, the cooling system in the iMac is the cooling system in the iMac not the cooling system in the iMac Pro. And that was readily apparent when I ran my benchmark tests and my little iMac Pro just silently with a very, like a stream of warm air, silently blowing out the back of it, just kept on chugging away. And the moment I pressed the button, all the fans on the iMac cranked up audibly mm. and stayed up for the entire time that it was working on it. Okay. So if you're if you're if you're sound sensitive and, and not a lot of people are that sound sensitive, but I know like talking to Stephen Hackett about um, you know, he he went now he has a Mac Pro, but he went from a, an iMac to an iMac Pro. And one of the reasons was he records podcasts yep. and a loud blowing fan is not great for that. <laughs> so um it's still that loud blowing fan so it's fast but it's also noisy i will say like so uh, i'm recording from my home office today but i've been recording a lot from my studio recently and i'm using my mac mini there Mm -hmm. oh boy do those fans go Uh uh-huh and i hear it like randomly a lot and i'm reminded that's what computers used to be like and are like but right. I am blessed with this professional Macintosh in front uh-huh. of me here that doesn't, you know, I, the only time I ever hear the fans on my iMac Pro is when I absolutely expect to, right? Like right. when I'm doing something like um, Forecast, which is Marco's uh, tool for encoding 
right. MP3s. And it, Aggressively multi-threaded. Yes, it is, what it is doing at that time is the basically the maximum it can possibly do. That's what the yeah. app is meant to do for, for encoding MP3s really quickly. So I hear it for a couple of seconds then. But other than that, I never hear the fans on my iMac Pro. But on my Mac Mini... I could just be like in Safari and all of a sudden it's like screaming at me. I'm like, what What are you doing? Like, what's wrong with you? You know, I go to Activity Monitor and everything seems fine, but something's kicking off the fans because that's just what happens. And so, yeah, that's that's going to be a thing here too, right? With that 27-inch iMac is it's going to be really good, but at, it, it will kick up the fans and make noise more if that's the thing that bothers you because either A, your work requires silence or B, you just don't like it, then fine. You know, that that's going to be a yep. problem for you, which is a difference with uh, the Mac Pro. But I would wonder anyway if, like, in, in our Mac, Apple Silicon future, it might not be so much of a problem anyway because, I mean, we have really powerful ARM chips with no fans now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe that runs better. So I would say, you know, you've mentioned, you mentioned it in your article about Last Hurrah, this really does feel like a last hurrah because of the fact that they integrated so many technologies that are in the Mac line into this Mac, right? Yeah. Like, you know, they all I mean, the T2 I, stuff, right? They, like all the, the, the T2 web, stuff. They the upgraded webcam. the webcam. It's essentially the iMac Pro webcam, right? Mm-hmm. It's a 1080 webcam, and the digital signal processing is being done on the T2, so they can do, you know, more dynamic. Uh, alteration of the of the brightness and the contrast and they do some face detection to try to figure out who is supposed to be uh at the you know the best lighting and then focus on that and and light for that like that's in there like great like finally <laughs> the iMac Pro or the iMac uh webcam is better but like again it's nothing new but it is the I want to I want to not praise it for being last to the party but I do want to praise it as a product for having everything that Apple has been working for uh, over the last few years and to make the Mac better while still having an Intel processor in it. Any final thoughts on this? Or do you feel like you've kind of wrapped up the, the iMac? I, I think so. I mean, again, like I said at the beginning, you know who you are if you're thinking of buying one. And like I can say, it's good. It is, it is while it's not super exciting, it is the um, final form <laughs> of the Intel iMac. And it will serve you well if you need an iMac right now and you're not worried about what comes next because you just want a good iMac. It's going to it's going to serve you well. The fact that it goes all the way up to a 10 core i9 that it blows my iMac Pro out of the water like it it's got power to spare. So um and, and the only other thing I would say is don't buy the 21 and a half inch iMac in any form. They changed the base configuration to have SSDs, but otherwise it's unchanged. And I'll remind you last year when they updated it, they didn't give it the eighth, the ninth generation Intel processors. They gave it the eighth generation Intel processors. So it was already kind of a step behind. And now it's another step behind. And if we look into the tea leaves a little bit and we think about that Ming-Chi Kuo report about what's coming for the Apple Silicon Macs, uh, late this year or early next year, it sounds like a 24-inch iMac is in the works, which feels very much to me like Apple is not bothering to do any updates to the 21-and-a-half-inch iMac mm-hmm. because the small iMac is going to be where they start the remake of the iMac. And so I know it's I know it's the cheap iMac. Don't get it. Like, that's that's one where I can just say stop. Do not get the small iMac. But if you want a 27-inch iMac, 
and uh, you're not worried about that that cutting edge, and you're happy to avoid the cutting edge, and you will get all of the tech that Apple has sort of perfected over the last three or four years rolled into this iMac at last, and it's fast, and it's Intel. You can boot camp it. You can do all those things that you won't be able to do on Apple Silicon, and uh, and nanotexture. It's uh. I, I want to say it's shiny, but it's not. It's the opposite of the opposite. shiny. <laughs> New and dull, but in a good yes. way. <laughs> the best kind of dull. <laughs> uh, with this also came uh, the macOS Big Sur public beta. Uh, I think it was the same day that both the reviews of your uh, of the iMac and the, the the public beta came out, right? And you had an article kind of wrapping up a lot of some your thoughts on uh, Big Sur. Yeah. Why do you think it's taken this long for the Big Sur public beta to come out? I don't know. Um, I think my, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I can speculate and say that maybe they just weren't happy with the qualities of the betas that they had mm-hmm. or and they wanted to get it to be stable. Like I know they were tweaking like APFS so that they could get it so that if you installed it on a drive with another uh, you know, it wouldn't get inserted in Catalina and say, I don't know what this is, right? Like stuff like that, which they fixed. And like, th- there've been tweaks to it. I think maybe there's a, uh, a standard there, um, of what is supposed to go out to the public that they felt they felt they hadn't reached yet. So, um, that's my best guess is that they just, they really didn't think it was good enough. And the nice thing about Big Sur is it's not tied to a release like, uh, like iOS is which is so tied to the iPhone. And as we've seen in the past, Apple seems to have no problem releasing amazing new features for iPhone and iPad and saying, and the Mac will get these features too with the new Mac OS whenever it shows up and then letting it just kind of show up whenever it needs to. So mm-hmm. if if iOS and iPad OS are coming in September, would it be surprising if uh, Big Sur came in October or November? Uh, I don't think so. The only reason... The only reason to press press forward with Big Sur for Apple is if Apple Silicon Macs are tied to it. But even then, do no, they, they have to? Are. Do they have to? Yeah, I assume they are. Do they have to release Big Sur um, and, and Apple Silicon Macs in October? They don't. They could do it in November or December or whatever. And maybe that is one of the reasons Apple is hedging about, you know, it's like by the end of the year for Apple Silicon is is it's tied to Big Sur. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why Big Sur is uh, late, but uh, the Apple can afford for it to be late. Yeah, you know, we spent a lot of time on this show uh, breaking down certain parts of Big Sur, like the icons and the sounds. Um, do you have, having spent more time of it, do you have like big thoughts about like things that you like, things that you don't like? like where are you kind of sitting with Big Sur right now? Um, I like it more than most podcast hosts you may have heard about. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's early yet. I'm inclined to say that I, that I, it makes me enthusiastic about the future of the Mac. I likened it in my review to like good cop, bad cop. Like Catalina was the bad cop. Catalina was like, no, no compatibility with old apps. No, get out. No. Lots of security warnings. Get your security in line, people. And Big Sur is like, hey, everybody, new OS, shiny and bright, new icons. And, and you know, and it's still all the things that Catalina is incompatible with. It's incompatible with. But, like, that's in the rear view by a year. 
And I've talked to people who are like, oh, you know, maybe I'll go to Big Sur, but I didn't like Catalina. It's like, well, Big Sur has all the issues in a way that Catalina had in that it's going to make all your old stuff incompatible if it's a 32-bit app that hasn't been updated to 64-bit. But, you know, by putting... And I'm I'm not really a believer that Apple structured it this way so people would just hate Catalina and then bless uh, Apple Silicon and Big Sur. Um, but uh, that mean, is you know sort of the net effect. about stuff like this where, where I do believe that Apple um, make decisions in advance in that way. Uh, I, I think Apple wanted the transition to go smoothly and that's why they did it with Catalina and not because they wanted people to it's it's you could see it either way right mm-hmm. do a transition to go smoothly also means not going into a transition with a whole bunch of broken apps so breaking them a year before helps the transition go smoothly and also helps people not hate on your new apple silicon max because they're the thing that broke the software because instead it's big bad catalina that broke it last year and you know i think yes to a certain extent those are both probably true so fair enough fair enough um, but you know, the, the look of it, like it takes some getting used to, it's got some things it needs to tweak, but, uh, like taking up more space. It, once I looked at Big Sur, I started to think about how so many design decisions on Mac OS are based on a real lack of screen space, like mm-hmm. wanting to be super dense and that you look at Big Sur and it's like, it's just, there's white space everywhere. There's padding everywhere. And yes, a lot of us think that that means touch is coming. But I think also it is Apple saying, yeah, big screens are good. We like big screens. We're not going to make teeny tiny screen Macs anymore ever again. You know, maybe they'll have a 12 inch screen someday, but otherwise like, no, like that the 13 inch might be the base. Like, let's take some space to air this whole thing out. They are willing to do that. I kind of like the, the high contrast windows. I again, are there some specific issues there? Yes, but um, I think all of our gray shaded stuff in current Mac OS is going to feel uh, real old, like brushed metal kind of old, really fast. Because not only is it a kind of a design trend kind of thing, but it's just I think it's nice. I think it looks good. I think there are lots of things they need to fix. Um, I don't, we, we went over the icons and how I think that they're not trying with some of those icons, but the fact is every icon on the Mac is going to be a round rect and all the apps that don't support the round rect icon are going to feel old. So they're going to have to update all of those too. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's radical and they're going to walk some of it back and there are things about it that I don't like. I think the translucency in the menu bar is a mistake and it makes it very hard to read and it's bad. But, um, overall I'm actually kind of encouraged about Big Sur and again, I'm probably one of the people who is also reacting to it versus Catalina and saying, you know, Catalina brought the bad news <laughs> and Big Sur is sort of like trying to be about the future and what the Mac is going to be going forward. And I'm much more receptive to that message than the message that Catalina brought, which is I'm going to enforce a lot of security and incompatibility issues because we need to change the platform. That was not fun. I like one thing that you said, which is I'm open to the possibility that Apple just thinks that our displays are big enough now that they can afford to look a little less cramped. And this is in reference to, you know, lots of people have been saying that a lot of the spacing in Big Sur might be for touch. But it's actually a thing where maybe they just decided that the UI needed to be more spread apart. 
No, I think it, it's very, once you look at Big Sur and then you go back to Catalina, you look at it and you realize, wow, like there are a lot of places where it's as if this was designed by somebody who's just desperate to shave off pixels. Like let's get, let's get this element as close to the edge of the window or the screen as possible. And, you know, when you're in an environment with, as somebody who had an 11 inch, I still do, it's right here, 11 inch MacBook Air. That's true. <laughs> but Apple's sort of saying, nah, not so much anymore. We, we think big, big screens are where it's at. Um, we're going to give everything a little bit of room and it's nicer. It's nicer. I know that it's waste, quote unquote, wasted space and all. But once you see it, you realize that some of this stuff is like in normal design circumstances, you'd look at it and say, why is that so close to the edge? Like, can we, can we pad that a little bit? Like it shouldn't be that close. It shouldn't be crammed in there like that. Yeah. And it's crammed in there because uh, a lot of Mac design is desperately trying to stick as many things in as small a space as possible in order to fit it on the screen. You mentioned uh, a bunch of improvements to Catalyst as well. How is that feeling in Big Sur? They've introduced new applications. They've added new APIs. You seem pretty positive about Catalyst going forward. Well, I've talked to some developers who say that Catalyst going forward uh, has a lot of things that Catalyst last year didn't have. Uh So that they're really encouraged to be able to use Catalyst. And because Apple has brought so many different apps over, including messages and maps to Catalyst, Apple is motivated in making Catalyst better. And so last year we were like, well, Mac Catalyst, we were really excited about it, but this is it. And this year it feels like this is really it. And Apple is really using it to build apps. And also we, we now sort of see Apple's grand plan here to unify these platforms. And, you know, we're going to enter a situation where your iPad app will run on the Mac on Apple Silicon unmodified, but... If you do a little extra work, it'll be much better on the Mac. And I'm I'm encouraged that a lot of app developers will take that extra step, especially now that Catalyst is giving them more tools to do it. A lot of my a lot of my positivity about it is that Messages is a bad app on Catalina. Like it's bad. I don't know if this has happened to you. Have you had this where you click on a on a tab in the messages view and you start to type a message and for some reason it flips to a different message <laughs> and now you're typing a text message to the wrong person? It <laughs> happens to me all the time. That's it's bad. infuriating. That's it's really bad, bad right? Yeah. And that has been happening to me for years and it and it just keeps happening. It's sort of random. I don't know why. And so now every time I send a message in messages, I du- have to double check. I like copy uh, out to the message text just in case. And then I look and see, is this going to the right person? And then I'll send it. And the new version of messages that's run, written with Catalyst, it's coming from iOS and it's in Catalyst on, on Big Sur, feels like messages. Plus it has every feature that the Mac never got from messages. You can open pop open conversations in other windows and stuff. And like, yeah, if you look very, very closely, you can detect that it's probably a Catalyst app, which it is, but it feels like a Mac app. And I think that that's, I'm really encouraged by that. Plus the fact that they like change the date pickers and stuff. So it's the the super saddest things about like uh, the spinning wheel for the date picker that they left there for mm. a couple of years. Like the, the, those are gone now and that's good. You mentioned something about Safari that was a surprise to me because I know that Apple were talking about the extensions, like people could bring over their extensions and that would be great. 
But I just assumed that Apple was doing something to make those work in the back end. But it seems like developers would actually need to submit them for Xcode and stuff, which wasn't what I expected. Yeah. So one of the things that I did is in the review, I expressed some skepticism about this thing that I actually am excited about, which is the fact that they're using the extension API that was there that's there in Firefox and Chrome to do browser extensions. Mm -hmm. But of course, it's Apple. And so it ends up being this question of like, what app extension or browser extension developers are going to want to be in Safari? Because it's not just a case where I can go to a website where there's a Chrome extension and download it and run it in Safari. It's not that way. They changed some of the security things. So you have to, basically as a developer, you have to bring it, you have to have a Mac. (laughs) First off, you have to bring it into Xcode. You have to make sure that you're following Apple's security stuff or it won't work so you may actually have to change your app to be more secure or support privacy better and then you have to submit it to the app store and then it shows up in the safari extensions section of the app store so you can do it and that's great and if you're the developer of a of a major browser extension that you built for chrome and you want access to safari you can you can get it now but what if you don't have a mac well you're going to need to get one. <laughs> You're going to need to investigate all the ways that Safari clamps down on security and privacy that maybe you didn't need to worry about on Chrome. And then you're going to need to submit it to the App Store and learn that process and then get it in the App Store. And then it'll be on Safari. So I think it's a real question about whether people will do that. So while it's a it's it's potentially a big win for mm-hmm. Safari users because uh, that web extension technology is coming to safari the workflow for it still is going to require a lot of developers and i think it's worth asking the question will they care enough to support safari they've made it easier not easy (laughs) yeah and my answer would probably be the moment that it runs on the ipad and the iphone they'll care about it (laughs) yeah okay good point good point which may happen right like especially with the ipad you expect it i guess maybe the ipad at least i would who should install the public beta jason of of Big Sur. should anybody? I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to what I said about the iMac, which is you know who you are. Like mm. I would wait. It's early in the cycle, even though it's August. It's early in the cycle. I don't know what you're gonna get out of it. I mean, you could install it on an external drive or something and see. But like, I would wait. I would wait until that they've until they've got it locked down. Um, it's you know using a beta. I have to do it, <laughs> but you don't have to do it. Uh, so. If you're not a developer or, or somebody who really needs to be in Big Sur, I would wait it out because that's what public beta processes are all about is people finding bugs. And if you want to be a bug hunter and live with the frustration of it, then go ahead. But like as a your software, some of your software is going to break. All the audio software that we use breaks in Big Sur right now and has not been updated yet. All the um, Rogue Amoeba stuff just doesn't work yet. So I don't know. It's I, right now. I'm just sort of skeptical about this. You run a beta because you're curious, and that's great, or because you want to help, or because you have to. But uh, be well aware that although Big Sur seems to work pretty well for me, and I didn't really have any problems, you are subjecting yourself to beta software in your operating system, and it's not great. And just uh, in general, because there will be bugs and weirdness, and so you know. I think Big Sur is for the people who install Big Sur this fall and the, the public beta, you know who you are. Otherwise, I would wait. For me, like I install the iOS public, the, the iOS developer betas and I'm playing around with them and stuff like that. And I would do that even if I wasn't 
reporting on them and talking about them because I would be excited the same way that I am excited. But I would not install the beta of macOS on it on like my main computer. Like I right. put iOS on my iPhone because I just feel like for me, I feel like there is more potential disruption and damage that could be done to my Mac computing life than could be done with my iOS computing life. Even though I am a primarily iOS person, I just feel like it could be way worse for me to use uh, a beta on my Mac than on my iOS devices. Cause if something went wrong, the things that could go wrong on my Mac feel worse to me. But that's just my own kind of like internal barometer for, for beta software, especially yeah, system software. And it's your feeling about like, yeah, where where are you willing to get benefit of beta stuff and where are you um, not willing to get the negative part of beta stuff? Those both happen. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at KiwiCo, a science and art subscription box for kids of all ages. Hey parents, you might feel like your kid's summer vacation started early if you've been at home together for a while. Now actual summer vacation is happening for many people. You might be struggling to think of ways to keep them busy, but KiwiCo can deliver science fairs and art classes right to your door. It can be hard to find things to keep your children busy and challenged. KiwiCo solves that problem, allowing you to spend quality time tackling projects together at home so you can do your part to encourage your children to be innovators and creative thinkers. The KiwiCo boxes are excellent. And the materials are really great. I love how easy to understand the instructions are, um, especially for younger kids, because uh, it will allow them to be able to get their head around the instructions without a ton of uh, interference from the adult that's helping them as an adult helping them out. Everything's done really easily. They include everything that you're going to need right in the box. But if there's anything you do need, any small household items like scissors or whatever, they're all labeled out very easily so you know what you're getting into before you start so you're not going to be halfway through the project and then having to run around and try and scramble to find something i really like that no surprises it's super great kiwico is redefining play with hands-on projects that build confidence creativity and critical thinking skills there's something for every kid or kid at heart with kiwico you can get 30 percent of your first month on select crates over at kiwico.com slash upgrade that's k-i-w-i-c-o.com slash upgrade our thanks to kiwico for their support of this show and relay fm so there's been uh some stories been a lot of uh reports about apple and game streaming services over the last week especially with microsoft uh, they confirmed that their xCloud service would not be coming to iOS. xCloud is a game streaming service. So there's games being played from the cloud, right? It's not like a great game subscription service like Apple Arcade, where you pay one fee and you get access to a bunch of games. With xCloud, it is part of Xbox's Game Pass service, where it's basically... It works in a couple of different ways, which makes this confusing. But the xCloud part of, of Game Pass is you can stream games to devices that are not Xboxes. So you play from the cloud. It's more like Google Stadia, if you're familiar with that, right? Right. So uh, Apple have made some statements. Microsoft have made some statements. Um, Apple are basically saying that a service like this can't exist on iOS because they cannot review each title individually. Uh, this is a statement that they gave to, I believe, Insider, and they also gave a similar statement in March to Bloomberg 
Um, I believe this is in reference to Stadia and other things. So they're basically saying um, that they want to be able to review every game and a service like xCloud means that they can't review every game. That's Apple's line, right? Because there are games and etc. Like it's one app. They want things to be there and they also want uh, all kind of games to show up in search and in uh, charts standalone. They don't like the idea of one application with like a hundred games in it or whatever, and Apple doesn't get to see all of them listed out for their customers. Microsoft are unhappy. They have said Apple stands alone as the only general purpose platform to deny consumers from cloud gaming and game subscription services like Xbox Game Pass. Now, there's a lot of uh, people making lots of arguments about this online, about different, you know, saying are Apple right or Apple wrong? Is Microsoft right? Is Microsoft wrong? I want to give my take on all of this, Jason, if that's okay. And then I'm sure you will have your own as well. I think that this is all a load of BS from Apple. I think that this is madness from them. This idea of the individual review of content doesn't hold up to any logical test in my mind. Like people, like, look, but this is an often made thing now, like an often made argument about this, about they don't review uh, all of the content on Netflix But, like, I think that that makes a lot of sense, right? Like, I don't understand why, because it's a game, Apple needs to, one, review every title, and then, two, they need to show up in charts. doesn't make sense to me why this is the case for game streaming services. And, frankly, the games that Xbox sell, the games that are part of Game Pass, are reviewed much more stringently than Apple, right? So, a quote from Microsoft, and this is true, all games available in Xbox Game Pass catalog are rated by content for content by independent industry ratings bodies such as the ESRB and regional equivalents, right? So console games go through this external review to re, uh, to age rate them, right? This doesn't happen on the App Store. Apple decided. it. And also, there are way less games allowed and available in the Xbox Store, let alone Game Pass, like Game Pass is like a heavily curated system. It's kind of more like Apple Arcade in that regard, in that there is a store and then there's also Game Pass. Most Xbox Game Pass games are games made by Microsoft and their own studios. I think it can be very well argued that the quality barrier for a game on Xbox is vastly higher than what Apple sets for the App Store. Like Because you get a ton of crap in the App Store, right? Just like bad games... There aren't bad, quote-unquote, bad games, like games that don't work in Game Pass because that's just not how that works, right? Like, that's just not how that system is. It is a very different system. You can get games with bugs, of course. You can get games that crash, of course. But the idea of this, like, oh, Apple's review system is, like, way... It's just not true. Like, in my opinion, and I think... I genuinely think this is true, that the the level that the quality barrier for what can be approved into the game pass is higher than Apple. But let's just call this what it is. Apple wants a cut, right? Like I cannot see this any other way. Apple is saying one thing, but I think it's pretty clear that Apple doesn't want to allow another category of services into the App Store that can be these reader apps because that's what Microsoft will submit to them right? They will create an application where you just sign in. They they don't want to give Apple a cut, right? So they will create one of these applications that were, would be uh, have to be classed as reader apps in the App Store, right? So Apple won't be able to get their cut of it. I think that recent history makes me feel very confident about this idea that the issue is 
that Apple wants to take their 30% or their 15% and Microsoft don't want to give it to them. If they're if that is wrong to assume that, fine, but I think that the last that this year has shown that Apple super care about this. So I th- I feel pretty justified in saying that that's what's really going on here because if Apple really want to review all the games, Microsoft can let them. Sure. Right? They can say, "Here you go. Here's all 100 games. It's we've created a demo account for you. Go ahead and review them." So then that's why they also say, oh, we also want them to show up individually. But why would Apple care about this? Like, in what way is that a good experience to the customer? That every Xbox Game Pass game would show up individually on the App Store? Who cares about that? That's not how the model for this service works. You pay a flat fee and get everything. So the better customer experience is like, I am an Xbox Game Pass subscriber. I just want the Xbox Game Pass app or the xCloud app. Like, this is another example, in my opinion, of Apple trying to tell Microsoft how to run their business. And I think Apple likes, likes to do this these days, right? And you could say, oh, this is Microsoft telling Apple how to run their business. I don't think that's the case because the iOS App Store and iOS devices very clearly are made and set out to run applications like this one, right? Like, this is a multimedia experience made by a third party. In my opinion, there is absolutely no difference to a streaming TV service to a streaming game service. And my main issue with all of this is that if Apple continues this line, iOS users are missing out on something that Android users can get. Apple is making a worse experience for the App Store and users of the iOS platform if they continue to make these wild rules that they make people like sign up for. Because cloud gaming, it's becoming a real thing. The xCloud service is awesome, right? Like it works. Stadia works. Stadia is less awesome because of the game catalog and the pricing. But the pricing and game catalog for xCloud, I am telling you, if you are not aware, this is going to be a thing that you will miss out on big time at being an iOS customer. Because you would be able to play high quality, top tier games. We're talking Halo. You would be able to play Halo on your iPad if Apple allow this, but they won't. And at the moment, Android will be getting this. Samsung just did a deal with Microsoft to include three months of this service for free if you buy one of the new Samsung phones. Like, I really am disappointed that this continues to occur. I think that it is just a bad look for Apple now, and they need to find ways to work better with companies. Like, we have seen that they can work if it's in their interest. They'll do the deal that Amazon wants to do if they also get the, right? Like they get that, but they're putting up a wall with Microsoft. They're putting up a wall with Google. And ultimately, no matter what Apple thinks, their customers lose. And I think that's wrong. That is my (laughs) statement on this, Jason. Would you like to say how you feel? Uh, Thank you for your statement. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, the uh, the chairman, for yielding the rest of his time. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think, look, I, I see where Apple is coming from here. You know, Microsoft wants to create a new gaming product that uses Apple's hardware as a console, right? Like, they want they want to say, hey, we can now sell all of our console stuff without actually having to sell you a console, and uh, we get the money. And I, I can see the argument that if you're building your business on Apple's hardware, 
that they should be able to benefit it from it in some ways. Cause the, and I can see that Apple looks at this and says it makes your iPhone or your iPad a dumb console. Like it's, it's a whole dumb pipe argument again. And I get why Apple would be like, Oh no, that that doesn't use the unique Apple secret sauce. You're just piping in content from some other device platform using our amazing so- software and hardware as a dumb display. Um, and that Apple wouldn't like that like culturally. So I get all of that, but I have to come back to the argument that we, we've talked about before about other issues recently, which is, does Apple recognize that it accrues value from having apps and services on its platforms? Or does it really believe that an iPhone that was completely empty and devoid of anything except Apple apps would still have the same appeal? Now, you know, that's an extreme example. And of course, they wouldn't agree with that. They love the App Store and they love talking about the App Store. But I think this is one of the things that's missing when you get in an issue like uh, like Hey, where they said Basecamp has been able to run a whole business for free on our platform, and the strong implication there is that they were ripping off Apple in some mm-hmm. way by doing that and not viewing the other part of it, it, which is, yeah, millions of business users rely on Basecamp and they can use your product. And if th- they couldn't, then they would use somebody else's product, right? Like Apple has this real tension between believing that Apple's the reason everybody's there and wanting to promote the App Store and all these great apps that make you want to be there. Because I think at it, in its heart of hearts, Apple really wants to believe that no individual app is important. That that in the end, the greatness of Apple will win out over any individual app or service. That like you'll, you push comes to shove and this app that you want to use isn't on Apple's platforms. What are you going to do? Get the app's competitor that is or switch to another platform. And Apple in its heart of hearts believes you'll stay because Apple's so great. And sometimes you will, but you also might devalue your platform if a major thing isn't there, right? Like that that is the back and forth here. Uh, obviously, Apple can do what it wants, but it does feel like so many of these clashes are rooted in this philosophy where, you know, they simultaneously believe that iOS is a place where third parties can bring apps to enhance the platform and... They have this fear that they're being taken advantage of or that somebody is making a big profit building a business that doesn't have any direct benefit to them. And these there, there's a tension between these two things. And I think it's at the core of all of these kinds of stories and where you see it at its worst is that Apple builds a whole bunch of tools to protect customers, to make sure that the app store and that the platform is safe and secure and in a bunch of different ways, although again, sidebar, there are also lots of scammy, crummy things on the app store yep. that they don't protect consumers from. But they do have some of these rules that are, that, you know, they built the system. The theory is they built the system to protect users and make a better experience. And then they use those tools to collect rent or keep competitors off their platform. Mm-hmm. I think in the end, you know, it, it is a philosophical argument and you and I are on the same side, which is to say Apple's platforms are better <laughs> when interesting things like streaming gaming services are on it than they are when they're not on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Apple Arcade is its own thing and is not related to this. Like this is a, an improvement for the platform. Find a way to work, work it out and let it be there. Because philosophically, we think Apple should err on the side of letting its platform be open because in the end, Apple sells more iPhones, Apple sells more iPads because Microsoft has created this. Even if they don't 
even if they don't benefit at all financially from it, I would also argue, come on, of course they could make a deal and benefit financially from it. Of course they could. Of course they could. And and I, I think it's entirely possible that this is just a lag issue. And at some point, somebody at Apple, uh, an executive somewhere is going to say, oh, there's money to be made here. We should just make a deal and we should make this happen. And they're going to take the rules that exist. And they're, they're going to, instead of saying, well, we, we have to enforce our rules, they'll actually change the rules. Um, but I can see the other side of it, which is that Apple says, no, we're not, we don't want, this is not our vision for our platform to have Microsoft roll in with something that they're taking all the money from and using our platform as a dumb, uh, terminal, a dumb display box. And it doesn't accrue a lot of value to our platform. And, 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 and if somebody's really into it on the iPad, it doesn't provide any reason why they should stay on the iPad and not just buy an Android box next time, an Android device of some kind. So it doesn't really help us. And so if you're not really helping us, why should we help you? Like, I get it. Can I make a point on that? Sure. I get it. I don't agree with that, but yeah. I can see somebody at Apple saying that. And that that is like, I get that as a philosophy, even if I don't. I, I don't agree with it. I think it's mistaken, but I don't, I don't think it's provably wrong as much as it is. I don't, that's not how I view their platforms. Cause I think that there is a, fun, I believe that there are people that will, will say this, but I think there's a fundamental issue in that thinking, which is if you believe that's the case, you allow for it to be proven because if you do not allow for these types of services to be on your platform, because it makes you just like an Android device, all it's doing is pushing people towards that if that's what they want from their right. tablet, right? Like yeah. it move, it pushes people to get a Surface Go next time because they get whatever they get from there and they also get to play Game Pass games from xCloud, right. right? Like if, and, and I think that it is a fundamental misunderstanding of what Apple's platforms are. Like fundamental misunderstanding yeah. because- the iPhone and the iPad, for many people, are their main computers. And they just do whatever computers do, right? Like, Apple love their web browser, right? The web browser is a dumb terminal to whatever's on the web. They have no control over that, and they shouldn't. And I believe that they should allow for applications like this one. Yeah, sure, it might not be your vision for what iOS can do, but games are important to a lot of people. And if this is one of the future points of gaming, and it is because they're all doing it, right? Sony's going to have it, Microsoft has it, Google has it, and there are many more companies doing a similar thing. You will be leaving your uses out in the cold and to assume that for some reason your tablet is so special that it shouldn't have like you know what you should say apple you should say our screens are the best screens to play these yeah. games on exactly and you work with microsoft to make this hdr or whatever like our device is the best device on there to play games to play our games to play their games to play netflix to play our shows right you you compete you compete on the fact that you think that your hardware and your larger experience is better right which comes back to what i was saying about is this all about the greatness of your platform or is it about the apps or is it both and the answer or is needs it to about be the services it all revenue. goes together <laughs> but you're right and, and and this is the thing is this clash 
is like I said, it's rooted in the in the in these two views that Apple holds as culturally relevant inside of Apple simultaneously. And one of them is we love our developers, we love the App Store, the App Store enhances iOS, it makes it what it is. And the other one is give us our money, you owe us. Yep. Any business that's built on Apple's greatness, yep. I want money. Um, what I find fascinating about this story in particular is Apple is seems to be hiding behind app store policies saying, well, philosophically, this kind of app shouldn't be on our platform. And as you described, I think, very well at the beginning of this segment, come on, it's not about that. In the end, I think it really is about the money. If it's not about the money, I'm baffled because they should allow these kinds of apps on there and they should find a way to make it worth their while. Like Microsoft, I am sure Microsoft, I well, I should say, I'm not sure. Maybe Microsoft is being a jerk here and saying, no, 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 Apple, we're not giving you any of our money. But surely there is a, an agreement to be reached where Apple allows them to sign up on ios and they take a piece of that like like the like the other deals that they've got like they get the amazon deal surely there's a way for apple to wet its beak a little bit on this right but also let microsoft run its business in a way that makes sense for microsoft because it does accrue value to the platform to have these kind of things on there and if they're not there it makes it a little bit less for somebody who's looking for a cheap ipad for their kid and their kid's like no you can't get an ipad because I can't do X cloud on the iPad like that, that you don't want that. You don't want that. You're not going to kill your business to get this service, but I don't think the service is going to kill your business. So yeah, in the end, this, I, I think it's going to take some executive at Apple to break through when you have a culture, an internal culture disparity like this, you have to have somebody in a position of power to say who wins. And right now, if right now there may be somebody in a position of power saying who wins, or it may be that it has not elevated to the point where somebody who's got both of those things in mind and can arbitrate between them. It may be that it's the people who hold the lever are the people who think one thing and the people, you know, who think the other thing don't hold that lever. But if it might escalate to Tim Cook or whoever who says, no, 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 we, we, we gotta, there's, we gotta do this differently. And that, that's what we don't know right now is I'm unclear how far this has escalated and whether Apple has really thought this through. We don't know if there are some details in the negotiations that we don't understand. It would be really sad if this has gone all the way to the top and they've just decided that game streaming services are never going to be a thing on Apple's platforms, period. Because although I understand why they might make a decision like that, I'm disappointed because I think that they should be more open and less defensive and that it will it, it, that they're still going to get value out of it. Plus, yeah, they seem like cool and new. And I, as a, somebody who uses Apple's devices, I would like to try cool and new things and not be barred from them because Apple doesn't think I should have them. I feel like I'm doing this a lot recently, but I, I will again recommend that people listen to or sign up for Dithering, um, which is yep. John Gruber and Ben Thompson's Absolutely. Uh, podcast. And I'll actually put a link in the show notes. They made like a preview thing uh on itunes like a preview th feed i'll put that in the show notes as well if you want to get an idea for it um i'll just mention it here because they've been having really interesting discussions like i fundamentally disagree with absolutely every point that john gruber is making on this on on dithering uh but it is really interesting to hear it i mean i understand what he's saying i, I get his points that, that he's making i won't go through them all here but i disagree with them but i mention it here because it's really uh fun i think to listen to 
John and Ben arguing the way that they argue on the show. Yeah. Uh, I just think that it's like real and a really interesting thing to listen to. Uh, so I just wanted to mention it here, and they're and they're talking about high level high level sort of strategic issues and business issues, and and what's a great thing about them as a pairing is that if I had to categorize them, I'd say Gruber is an Apple focused guy, but he's also a product guy in a way, and Ben is a not he's got a lot of Apple focus, but it's not just Apple, and he is a business strategy guy. And that's a really good combination. Yeah, they they fit so well together. It's why I love the show so much, and I, and I want to recommend it again here, even though uh, I really disagree with everything John was saying. Um, yeah, I know. I go- listen to I listen to Dithering while I'm running, <laughs> and it's amazing. For 15 <laughs> minutes while I'm running, I am hearing those guys uh, sometimes agree and sometimes argue and sometimes joke. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, among your. Uh, your paid podcast it's it's i listen to every episode the day it comes out i really yep. love it it's Me good too. all right this episode is also brought to you by text expander from our friends at smile text expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most you can say goodbye to repetitive text entry spelling and message errors and trying to remember the right thing to say because when you use text expander you can say the right thing every time in just a few keystrokes better than copy and paste. It's better than scripts, better than templates, because text expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of repetitive things that you type while customizing, while still allowing you to customize and personalize your messages. I love that for text expander. You know, you can have blocks and blocks of text that you say all the time, uh, but you need to pick the right words to show to this right person or type a few things in, or maybe you need something to be appended with the correct date, like which is today. You can do all of that stuff really easily in text expander and one of the things i also love about it is we use text expander for teams here at relay fm so we can share things we remain consistent when we're talking to people and it also means that we're not all coming up with new stuff to say every time because one person had a great idea we put it into a snippet and then everyone can use it fantastic text expander can be used in any platform any app anywhere you type take your time back and increase your productivity upgrade listeners get 20 percent of their first year go to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about text expander today that's textexpander.com slash podcast and you can get 20 percent of your first year our thanks to text expander from smile for their support of this show and relay fm hashtag ask upgrade time Jimmy asks, is there a preferred order of article, podcast, and video for 20 Max for 2020? Um, This is a fun and flattering question. And what I would say is, um, I could see how you might think so, or that you... I also had some people ask, like, are ones disposable or do they overlap? And one of the maybe dumber things that I did in this project... (laughs) is all three of them are totally different and the amount of content recycled between them is extremely low. Like it's all about the same subject every week, but um, you know, I wrote the essays and did the research for that. And some of the essay content is reflected in the script for the podcast, but most of the podcast is other people talking about it, not me. And the video is me uh, with Stephen Hackett having a conversation about the, the choice. And sometimes he, will dispute my 
reasoning, which is fun, actually. So he's sort of like interrogating me about my choice. And we talk about each old Mac that we're talking about. So they're all very different. And I don't think that there's any particular order. So consume the ones you like. They're all they're all different. They all have different things to say about the same subject. And if you want to do them in order of time, I would say it is article and then podcast and then video, because that's the order in which they were sort of recorded or created. But um, there's no actual sequence. There's no machete order. There's just whatever uh, makes you feel good. But they're all different. They, they, um, it's not one of those things where the podcast is the audio of, or, you know, of the video, and the mm-hmm. video is me reading the essay. That, that's not. The, they're not like that at all. That's good to know, though, that they're all different. Like that's because that means you can consume all of them if you want to. Yeah, and I tried to make them all like the podcast is. I got a bunch of people to talk about these things in a way that, may, that is good on a podcast. And the video, I wanted to show the things, and I thought, well, I can't just show them. That's kind of boring. And I was like, well, Stephen, actually, the thought process was Stephen has most of these. So why don't Stephen and I, since he cares about old Macs too, we'll have a little conversation, and also we'll have like his video and photos of the ones that he's got, and we'll post it on Five Twelve Pixels. And so it that is itself a totally different thing. So they're all different. On a similar line, we'll say no spoilers, but Zach wants to know, Jason, what's your favorite performer? You mean like, uh, you're, you're English, so I have to be clear here. Performer? How would you, how can I do it per, any different? Performa, performa is how I say it. Wait, say but it again for me and I'll per, see if I can you replicate say, it. Do you mean performa or performer? Can you say the, the computer name and I'll try and replicate you? Performa. Performa. Is that better? Okay. No, but it's fine. I get what you mean. <laughs> Said it exactly like Macintosh Performa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach, none of them. <laughs> I don't like them. I don't like the Performa. I don't. I don't like anything about them. I don't like that you could buy them at Sears. Um, I know that. Sorry to everyone who had a Performa. Growing there was up. a lot of them. Wow. I don't like. Yeah, well, there weren't a lot of them. There were a lot of different numbers of the ah. same one because they bundled different software or sold them at a different store. That was from the dark, dark days of Apple. Who was running where, Apple during the Performa time? I think that was Scully who actually right. started that. Um, and then it went over into the Spindler era. But uh, yeah, uh, my answer is none. None. Jack asks, I've heard you both mention a few times that you listen to podcasts in the shower. I've tried, but I find it hard to understand what people are saying over the sound of running water. (laughs) We'll talk louder, Jack. Jack! (laughs) What's your setup? Game Pass for Xbox, Jack! (laughs) What is your setup? Do you have a speaker inside the shower? Yeah, I, I actually got mine uh, recommended to me by Marco Arment. Uh, so it's a Marco-approved technique. Um, it's a speaker from SoundBot. That's the company. You can just search for it on Amazon. They make a Bluetooth or several different kinds of Bluetooth speakers with suction cups on them. And you stick them in the shower. I only bring mine into the shower for the shower and then I take it back out. I don't leave it hanging there because I'm deathly afraid it will lose suction and smash on the floor of the shower. But uh, it not that it has, but that it could do that. So I, I actually take it in and out. But it, I suction it to the glass of my shower. You may have tile, something else. That's fine. And the clever thing about it is the speaker is on the underside. So the speaker blasts downward onto your hard shower surface and then that flies back in your face. And I put it at kind of ear level, and it's very clear. 
it's bad for music. I wouldn't recommend it for music. If you, if you listen to music in the shower as well, I would recommend getting one of those nicer kind of Bluetooth, waterproof Bluetooth speakers. Like my daughter has one of those and you can like take them to into a swimming pool or whatever. Like it really doesn't matter. Um, but uh, for me, for listening to podcasts, the sound bot with the uh, suction cup works great. Do you know that the, the which one? They have a few now. Well, I, the one that I have is not apparently made anymore. Okay. But if you search, because I, I looked uh, when when Jack asked this question, I looked for my model, and my model is not for sale on Amazon right now. Mm. But um, there are others, and I'm sure that they're all the same in being not very good quality, but good enough for podcasts, and they live with you in the shower, which is nice. So, you know, mine is the SB517, but uh, it's not currently for sale at Amazon. So mm. I would recommend one of the others, but it has served me well. So I used to use one of the SoundBot speakers, but ended up not liking it because I had to keep recharging it and I'd get in the shower and turn it on and it wasn't charged. And then it beeps, it beeps every 30 seconds. Yeah. It makes me so angry when it does that. There you go. I had enough of that. Uh, so you know what I do? I bring my phone into the shower uh, and I have a little shelf in the yep. shower, which I can put it on. And it doesn't get like water isn't pouring on it. I mean, it gets right. wet, but and it like, ba- and it bounces the audio off the shelf, right? Well, no, turns your whole shelf into a little speaker. No, because the shelf is wire. Oh, okay. Well, that's not as good. But I find that it is loud enough. You know, I use Overcast. I have voice boost. And yeah. I have my phone cranked up to the maximum, and it is more than loud enough for me to hear clearly. So I've done that in a hotel shower before, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. I've also done that when the sound bot starts beeping at me that it doesn't have any battery anymore. I will, and you know, then I'm kind of like reaching outside for the towel and then mm-hmm. drying off my hands enough to take the leather case off of my <laughs> off of my phone, and then I'll bring the phone in and I'll put it on on the little tile, and then it it echoes that back out. Um, so that would be another way to go because these phones are water resistant. Don't I wouldn't put it right under the shower or anything, but getting a little damp is not a big deal. Um, but I just have taken to every week or so, I just recharge the SoundBot and, and avoid that annoying beeping thing because that's no good. I wish I wish it would beep once every like five minutes or something, but it's every 30 seconds and it, it, you, it makes the podcast unlistenable. It's, those are, that's a bad day when the beeping is happening in the shower. It's not good. <laughs> Matt asks, do you think that any non-pro iPads will have USB-C ports instead of lightning in the future? What do you think about this? I think eventually. I think eventually. I think, okay, so if Apple do what is rumored and expected, which is to at some point have no charging port on the iPhone, which I think is a possibility for at some point in the future, I think at that point all iPads go USB-C so they don't end up with some iPads being Lightning and some being USB-C because I don't imagine in the near to medium future the ipad going like chi charging it's too big right um so even even the small ipads you know they're they're too big for that it it would be weird it would be difficult to, to make that work properly so i would imagine it happening then but honestly like i could see them doing it at any point now like honestly like i could just imagine being like oh yeah ipad's charged by USB C. that's that this is this is like will any other iPads get the Apple Pencil? And the answer was eventually, yeah, all of them, right, mm-hmm. or, or almost all of them. I feel like this is going to be the same thing, mm-hmm. which is just eventually, the, as the iPad evolves. Now it's going to be slow, right? Like I'm not, 
I'm not convinced that the iPad, the iPad could get a redesign to look more like the iPad Pro, or it could not, and they could just keep on doing that Tim Cook thing where they keep it exactly the same shape, but just very slowly integrate new features, very slowly. But I think eventually it's inevitable because eventually Apple will want all the iPads to have the same connector. Just could be a long time. And L asks, if the next iPhone does have flat sides like the iPad, do you think Apple would bring back the bumper case? I wish. I, I uh, why not? I, I hadn't really thought case. about it, but why, why not? That was, a, that was a great little case. And Steve Jobs said, yeah, you can have one. Begrudgingly <laughs> gave them away for free. Yeah. Yeah, I I loved that case. That was a good case. It was basically just a case that went around the outside of the iPhone 4 and had no back on it. Really nice. Yep. So you could still it was still like it kept the phone feeling thin. You still got to appreciate the glass back. Yeah, I would like that a lot personally. But we'll see. People make them, you know, like people make them for every iPhone, you know, but I would I would like to see one made by Apple again if they went with that flat sides. You know, I was yeah. thinking like I am a case person, but if that design of the new iPhone is as th- that people think it's going to be or, you know, I would I feel like I would really hate to have a case on it because, you know, if it's anything like the iPad design, I really love how that feels it would uh-huh. be a shame, I think, to put a case on that phone. The beauty of having a bumper case is your... <laughs> Apple has struggled with the iPhone 11, right? That the... Because Jamie's got one of these. The the She's got a purple iPhone. And it looks great, but she's got the clear case on it. Mm-hmm. The clear case is fine, but it's... I think... I think it's you're trading the niceness of seeing the color of the phone for the ugliness of having a big case on it, mm-hmm. and I think I think the case is ugly, but the the purple color is nice. A bumper f- design, uh, you know, of a case shows you the beauty of the color while still making it grippable, which is one of the reasons you do it. Like it's not super protective, but it it le- it's protective in the sense that it, you can hold it in your hand without feeling like it's going to slip out. It protects the, the, the parts that are the most uh, damage-prone, which are the corners, like the, the corners, corners hitting. And also yeah. it keeps the screen in the back away from the ground. So if it does hit, it doesn't like hit the ground, right? Um, if it's landing on a flat flat surface, even if it went straight down, because there's like a little lip that it creates. So it would be cool. I, I would like it. I would like it. I mean, but there is that thing about like, well, if the flat sides are a thing and you are still covering, might, might feel really nice. We'll see. At the end of the day, like maybe I'll just throw a pop socket on the back and just leave it at that, right? Like mm. <laughs> less of a risk of breaking my phone when I don't go out as much. So we'll see. All right, that is it for this week's episode. If you would like to send in a question for a future episode of the show, you can send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or in the RelayFM members Discord, question mark, AskUpgrade. You can get in the RelayFM members Discord if you're a member, and uh, one of the ways you become a member of RelayFM whilst also supporting Upgrade is to go to getupgradeplus.com. If you're an Upgrade Plus subscriber, you'll get more Upgrade. There'll be more Upgrade after this theme tune is over. Um, and uh, you then also get no ads. It's $5 a month or $50 a year. You can go to getupgradeplus.com to sign up. 
or you can find out more on the Real FM website. And also, don't forget, Upgrade Plus members also get a advanced version of 20 Max of 2020. You get the podcast a few days early than the public feed, which is an extra bonus for Upgrade Plus subscribers. That is at getupgradeplus.com. Thanks so much to Smile, KiwiCo, and Hover for their support of this show. And we'll be back next time. Until then, oh, you can find us in a bunch of places, sixcolors.com, at jsnell. Uh, you can go to relay.fm slash shows. If you want more information about this episode, relay.fm slash upgrade slash 310. I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. <laughs>